Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. It's a coaching strategy session edition. This is a very special episode. I am honored, honored to bring on Andrea Adelson from ESPN, also known as my former boss at the Independent Florida Alligator. She was the sports editor. I was the assistant sports editor. And guess what? This weekend, we are reprising those roles, except she's going to be the head coach and I'm going to be one of the coordinators maybe the only coordinator. It's going to be like, it's going to be like necessary roughness where we only have like one coordinator, but Andrea Adelson, you and I are going to be guest coaches in the Florida state spring game. I said to Mike Norvell, when he called to extend the invitation, are you really allowed to have two Gators coaching your team? Because I don't think this is going to work out well for you. I, I don't know. I, and, and uh, there's, there's another Florida grad on the other side because we're going against Jeff Cameron, who's a radio host in Tallahassee, and Gene Deckerhoff, the voice of the Seminoles and also the voice of the Bucks. I'm kind of worried about what he's stolen from Tom Brady, by the way. So, But one of them's a Florida grad, too. So there's three of four, but I think, I think they're okay with this. I, 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 you know, we've, we've treated the Seminoles fairly over the years. I don't feel like we've been, you know, we, we've gotten too deep in the right. And also... Let's remember when we went to Florida, there was a lot of respect back and forth because Florida State was really freaking good back in those days. Andy, you know, I was thinking since we are going to be calling some plays, would Mike Norvell or anybody on that staff know if we called a curl and go what that would signify in the history of the Florida Florida State rivalry? I feel Uh, like we need to do it. Do we need to call Ike Hilliard about this? I think we should. I think we should oh, yeah. call him and, and Jacquez and get the whole, whole well, game I, back together. I can, I can break out. I know. I still remember some of the, the hand signals. So I'm wearing a visor. I don't know about oh, you. Are you now? Oh, nope. I, oh, I, I am look good in Absolutely. a visor. I look terrible in a visor. Actually, before we, before we get too deep into the strategy for this game, we need to discuss what we were discussing before we started recording, which is the, the, eternal existing existential anguish of reporters trying to figure out how to dress for stuff like this. Now, th- this even extends to when we cover games normally, like in the press box. Like, you got to make sure you're not wearing team colors. Uh, there was the very embarrassing situation I had covering the national title game in basketball a few years ago where I, I had been on the road for two straight weeks and I hadn't washed any clothes. The only thing I had left clean was a green sweater. It was North Carolina, Michigan State. And I walked right past the North Carolina band and they're like, Oh, you're a Michigan State fan, I see. I'm like, I don't care who wins this game. But now we now we've got a different deal because we're on the sidelines, but we can't be wearing we can't be wearing old stuff. Like that doesn't no. so we gotta I'm thinking like black polo. I think we go we go all black like Jerry Glanville. I love that. 
I usually wear all black. That's one of my signature looks. Uh, hopefully that doesn't mean because I'm a Debbie Downer, but because black is very slimming and it oh, goes with everything. Black is the new black. Exactly. Right? That's exactly Black's right. Black's always the new black. Yes. And and we'll, and, and I'll, I'll go the extra Jerry Glanville mile and leave some tickets for Elvis for the Florida State spring game. I think that's a great idea. But by the way, I am wearing black right now, all black, black shirt and black pants. So I, I feel like it's my signature color and we should just go with it. I, I like it. Okay. So that is solved. We've solved that. Now, what are we, in terms of strategy, in terms of, of you know, our guiding ethos as coaches, do we have like a defining offensive strategy? I, I'm assuming Mike Norvell would like us to run pieces of his offense, but I, you know, I haven't decided if we should do that or not. Like, should we just install the triple option for the spring game? The first text you sent me was all trick plays. And I feel like we should go with that. I mean, this is a spring game. We need to have some fun. Tebow jump pass. I mean, open up the, the uh, Emory and Henry. I mean, again? let's go. Good. Yes. It's all, are you going to run go. all Florida trick plays? I mean, We're going to run out of that stadium. Who did we learn our offensive philosophy from, Andy? That's well, but the jump pass is a Meyer thing. We, we were long gone by that point. That is true. But so the 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 Emory and Henry, though, I, I agree. And I was talking to a, a coach not long ago. It was a oh, it was we were doing a podcast with Kevin Kelly, the the Arkansas high school coach who doesn't punt because I want him to be the next Kansas coach. And I was I was laughing because I saw. A, a video of one of his games from last year, and they came out in Emory and Henry on the first play. Love it. And it's unbelievable. So for those who don't remember, Steve Spurrier had a formation called Emory and Henry, which he stole from Emory and Henry University in Tennessee. It's in Tennessee, right? And uh, so what you do is you move the offensive tackles out essentially past the hash marks, and it looks like they're receivers. But they're not. They're still ineligible all of the same line of scrimmage rules still apply. It just forces the defense to go, what the hell are they doing? I don't understand why more schools don't run that more frequently because it generally works. It does. And now I, I am curious because they've changed the rules on crackback blocks and stuff like that. So I don't know if you if you can have that offensive tackle just coming in and crushing somebody like, like occasionally the ball coach would do on Emory and Henry. I, that that's the, that's the only issue I can see, but yes, absolutely. I mean, you, you break that out. Now, remember Florida state well known for a, a trick play, the, the fumble ruski absolutely. that Bobby Bowden ran in the eighties. I mean, we gotta, we gotta pay tribute to Bobby Bowden at some point. I don't know how I'm going to say dad gummit a lot, I don't know if that's also paying tribute to Roy Williams, who just retired, but uh, you know we got it. We got to do that too. But yeah, I just want to make sure we're not we're not running the option. We're not doing anything weird. All trick plays offense. I think that's that's the way to go. Isn't that what people come to a spring game for? I mean, they're going to get the regular stuff in the first two quarters, but at the end of it, if it's the two of us against Gene and Jeff, I think we should just do whatever we want to do, and. I don't know about you, but I've been practicing my Ted Lasso celebration dance for when we inevitably Ooh. score, you know, three, four touchdowns. I think that's the way to do it. Now, you're going to wear a visor. Yeah. Is the visor getting tossed if somebody doesn't run the play correctly? Absolutely. That's the only okay. reason to wear the visor, right? Yeah. So uh, 
folks from the ACC network, you know, Andrew's your colleague, but I, you understand you're going to have to have the Adelson camp. Remember, they had the Spurrier cam back in the day where they're just shooting Steve Spurrier constantly to see if he'll throw his visor. So that's the Adelson camp. Yeah, it, you know, you you have a, a very storied football history. I'm not sure if the listeners understand this, Andrea. You know, they, they've heard about my time as a human tackling dummy. But do they know that you once tried out to be a punter on the Florida football team? Let's enlighten them, Andy, in case they don't know. I feel like I've told this story, but there's always a new audience to hear my exploits on the football field. Uh, when we were students at the University of Florida working at the Alligator, this was 1998, I believe. Uh, as we all know, Steve Spurrier hated special teams and most especially hated his kickers. So this football season started and the punting was an absolute train wreck. Just I believe Robbie show. Stevenson had graduated and they were looking for an heir apparent. Correct. And his name was Josh Corn or Corndog, as Spurrier nicknamed him. So he was averaging <laughs> something like 20 yards a punt. And my idea was to talk to the other players like Javon Curse and Johnny Rutledge, the stars of the team. Don't you think you could punt further than 20 yards? I mean, come on, this is a joke. So J they Josh Corn, by the way, whose lock, whose locker was like four down from mine when I was on the team. So, so there you go. I was I was placed in a very delicate situation here. <laughs> so the players played along with it, and that's what I was gonna write until. Uh, Matt Hayes, who now works in Jacksonville on the radio and does some stuff occasionally for Bleacher Report. He was the beat writer for the uh, Florida Times Union in Jacksonville. And he came up to me. He heard my line of questioning and he's like, why don't you ask Spurrier if you can punt with the team and write about that? And I was like, oh, I couldn't do that. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. He's like, Just little did Andrea realize Steve, Steve Spurrier loved Andrea and would let her do anything. Anything she asked. So, of course, he did say yes once I got the courage to ask Steve Spurrier. So, at this point, I'm like, what have I just done? I've never kicked a ball in my life. So, another friend of ours who works at the Associated Press now, Mark Long, we went out to Norman Field, and I just kicked for two hours. And by the time I got out to Florida football practice, my foot was swollen. And now I had to try and punt. But, of course, Spurrier... Played along beautifully because he wanted to send a message to his players. He wanted his players to see a girl coming out to the football field trying to take the job of corndog. So he sees me waiting there at the gate I'm sorry, to go Josh. into the football field. I'm still sorry. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I, we'll get to the reaction of the special teamers in a minute. So Spurrier's like, all right, we got to jog it out, Andrea. Let's go. Let's jog it out. So jogging out to the field, and now I'm starting to get the death stares because, of course, Spurrier hasn't told anybody what's about to unfold. All right, so here we are. I've never punted. My foot's swollen after horrific attempts for two hours at Norman Field to get myself ready. And Spurrier, who punted and kicked at Florida, so he knows a little bit about that in addition to winning the Heisman. A, a field goal against Auburn probably won him the Heisman Trophy, See? let's be honest. There we go. So he gives me just a very simple coaching tip, okay? You're going to go right, 
left kick, right, left kick. Cause I was right footed, <laughs> right, left kick. Okay. All right. Right, left kick. So the first one is just awful and embarrassing. And I'm like, what have I done? I am trying to have a decent reputation as a sports writer who happens to be a woman. And at that time, uh, you know, there weren't a lot of other women around football practice, Andy. So I was like, I'm about to ruin my career by doing this. And Spurrier, in typical Spurrier fashion, wouldn't let the equipment manager pick up the football until it stopped rolling because he wanted to maximize <laughs> the yardage to further embarrass his punters. And the equipment manager, his name was Will, and he was a great guy. I wonder where he is right now. If you're listening, Will, hello. Find me. I would love to catch up with you. Um, and it may have gone 15 yards, but with the bounce and the rolling, they went 30. And that was better but, than Now, dogs. is this 30 from where you kicked it or 30 from the line? Oh, of definitely 30 from where I kicked it, but it didn't matter because Spurrier wanted, <laughs> wanted it to be more than 20. See, he it had to be more than 20. <laughs> So we did this for a little bit, and uh, at, at, by this time, it started to get uncomfortable after like half an hour. And I was like, because now the rest of the team is starting to come out onto the field. Doug Johnson is just, you know, laser death stares, worse than the punters. So I left, and I- He was friends with the punters and long snappers. So yes. Yeah, that, that's why. I understand. I totally understand. I mean, if I was a football player, I would have done, you know, laser death stares too. So the one regret is that we didn't have a photographer out there. So I have no photographic evidence that would, this actually And we would have had it on video in these days. It would exactly. be on, and everybody would have it on video. There probably is a VHS tape of it somewhere because they, they did record everything back then. So there may be. That, there may be. <laughs> in, the, so, in the old musty files of me right, getting just should, like head slapped by Ed Chester, there's, there's one of you <laughs> punting. <laughs> and rolling 20 yards. I think we need to ask Dan Mullen if we can have access to the Florida VHS archives from practice <laughs> in September of 1998 to see if it's actually there. It's a Pruder film, if you will. Um, so I write the column and I show up to practice the next day. Uh, yeah, it didn't go well yeah. for me, Andy. I don't know if you now Spurrier and the coaches. Oh, wow. It was fantastic. But I don't know if you remember Nick Shirelli, who was a, a walk-on receiver. Of course, I, of course I do. He's a well, scout I don't know now if you were, for the Broncos. I don't know if you remember what happened at the end of practice when he came up to me and said that he's got a concealed weapons permit and I better watch my back. Do you remember when this happened? No, I don't yeah. remember that. I was probably interviewing somebody somewhere else. I did not yes, remember that. That happened. Jeez. So... Yeah, that was a little nerve wracking, uh, but, you know, uh, it was all in good fun, I guess. Uh, I don't know if those guys have forgiven me since then. I think Josh but... was pretty mad. I, I, yeah. I recall Josh being pretty mad. He never um, spoke to me again. Yeah, I see. That's what is as, you know, I'm trying to think. I can't remember how the offensive linemen took it, but I think they were OK with it. And I'm generally, you know, I, I watch how the offensive linemen react to things because they they took a pretty you know lighthearted view of kickers in general, and so they probably weren't too worried about it. I, I doubt Javon Curse lost a lot of sleep over it. He did not. The the players 
you know, the, the, the key players on that team didn't stop talking to me because of it. It was the special teams players who were, you know, not thrilled. And I understand. I, I understand completely. I even did a soccer reference in the story because at that time, Florida had Danielle Fotopoulos, who went on to play for the national team, and she set the the record for, but, well, for goals. And, and Florida won the national title that year in soccer. Florida won a national title in soccer. And Becky Burley, who just retired and had an outstanding career at, at Florida, that was the first team I covered at Florida, the soccer team. I, I said, do you think Danielle could kick a ball at Florida? She's like, absolutely. I think Danielle could kick a ball. What are you talking about? Of course she could. Yeah, the, the, D- Danielle had a little brighter future than punting, though. She as, did. As a, as a future World Cup winner and I believe gold medalist. We'll be right back after these words. We've established our bona fides. Now we're so. ready to go help the Seminoles climb back because the climb that's their theme right the climb. Or, or they're, they're they're climbing back um i do want to talk to you a little bit about this this team at florida state because you've done uh, quite a bit of stuff on mackenzie milton who is now there after transferring from ucf and he's trying to come back from just a devastating knee injury and you also you and david hale wrote i think is that what is the best story on florida state football explaining everything that's happened really since the tail end of the jimbo fisher era and why they are in the, the position they're in right now. Because we're going to see them on Saturday. I think it, I feel like they're kind of at a crossroads right now. They're, the the roster's essentially been flipped. You know, this is this is more what Mike Norvell had in mind. Probably he did not realize when he got there how bad the situation was. But I feel like he he's gotten it to a point where he he has a roster that he's comfortable with and they feel like they can move forward now. But you know. What's it like? Because you've you've been in the state of Florida for a long time, but seeing Florida State like this, it's it feels very strange to me because this is a program that has been so dominant over the years. It, it's strange to see where they just can't seem to find the right thing. It's definitely surreal, and we could probably say the same thing about Miami. Growing up in Florida, as both of us did, you're used to seeing. Florida and Miami and Florida State all being great. And it hasn't been like that at Florida State since 2014, probably, and at Miami much further back than that. And I would love to have Mike Norvell take some truth serum and say he didn't really know that it was going to be as bad as what it was when he walked in the door at Florida State. I don't think anybody from the outside could understand how much dysfunction there was, not just within the football team, but within the entire athletic department and their booster organization, which got them to the point where nobody was even talking to each other or communicating. Everyone had a different agenda. Everybody wanted to do something else with football to the point where there was confusion. There was confusion Among the coaches, there was confusion in the locker room. The locker room went south uh, toward the end under Jimbo. They haven't been able to fix it yet. And so it's this snowball effect where Florida State in 2013 and 2014 was so good when they won the national championship and they made the playoff and they had all these star players that were going to go into the NFL. It masked 
a lot of the underlying issues that have now come to roost and have affected where Florida State is as a football program right now. When we're talking about boosters wanting to do one thing, the administration wanting to do another, and the head coach wanting to do a third different thing. So since Mike Norvell has come in there, not only has he done what he's done in the locker room and with the roster, which absolutely was needed, he absolutely had to do that. But now they have a new person running Seminole Boosters, Michael Alford, who came in uh, as a former athletic director at Central Michigan. He knows how to run an athletic department. And they've got an uh, athletic director in David Coburn, who I think everybody's now on the same page and he's going to retire here soon. So they'll be able to have, I think, everyone united on the same front. And, well, and, and they've changed. They've changed the way the the booster organization reports yes. to the athletic department. That that's the thing. Like I realized that Florida State's situation was different the day they canned Bobby Bowden. Essentially, and he can say what they want. They fired him, and yeah. Randy Spetman, who was the AD at the time, wouldn't talk. Like would not talk about the fact that they had fired Bobby Bowden, and uh, like that's that's the AD's job. And I remember being up there and, and talking to a bunch of people. And they're like, you got to understand, it's just different here. It works differently. And you saw that through the years where it wasn't, you know, Jimbo Fisher was almost never really at odds with the AD because the AD couldn't do anything. Like had no power whatsoever. And I think, you know, the, the way they've got it set up now, whoever replaces David Coburn, it will be a more conventional AD job. Yes. And they need that because they have suffered mightily because of the way that it operated with the boosters essentially being out on their own, having all the power. And the other part of this is the financials haven't been great there. I think Florida State's doing a terrific thing now uh, where they're going to downsize the stadium and take mm -hmm. capacity uh, down, I think, by 10,000 seats. They had such a hard time selling out even when they were winning because it is so hard to even get to Tallahassee. So I think some of the upgrades they're doing with fan experience, um, having more suites and then taking out some seats is really going to be beneficial for them in the long term for what those financials are going to look like. The season tickets haven't quite recovered to where they were in 13 and 14 that's been a problem. All these buyouts to Willie Taggart uh, and his staff, that's been a problem. It will continue to be a problem. The pandemic obviously has been a problem. So the financials haven't been great. Mike Norvell took a pay cut. But I think once yeah. everybody is on message and on the same page and understanding what has to be done, Florida State will be better. So the locker room component, the roster component is a big part of it, but it's not the complete part of it. And if you're at Florida State and you don't have the facilities that say Florida does or Clemson does or some of these other schools that you're recruiting against, it hurts. And they've been lagging behind there too. And they've got to come up with a plan for what they're going to do with their football facility as well. Yeah, that's one of those that they uh they're in the stadium, they kind of share space with classrooms. It's it's a it's an interesting setup. And, and Florida and Florida State are kind of the same boat on that front where neither one feels like they have what the rest of their league has in terms of facilities. But, you know, I think Florida already has the plan. They have the blueprints. They're going to build it. We already know how that's going to work. That was a big wedge with Jimbo Fisher 
and, yes. and the boosters. And so, yeah, if they get on board and everybody's on the same page, I do think that will help a lot. Uh, and it's interesting. We talk about the roster. This is a, a group. And I feel like this is where the transfer rule changing can help some teams. Not, you know, we talk about how much it can help players, but I think it can help some programs too, in terms of giving you an injection of veterans who have played at places that are just simply more functional. We already saw that with Miami last season, taking advantage of the portal and bringing in Derek King at quarterback, Jalen Phillips now at defensive end, who looks like he is going to be a first round pick. Right. Um, Quincy uh, Roche, who also is going to be an NFL draft pick. Those are three transfers that Miami was able to bring in. And and Jalen did sit out because of transfer rules. But if they had had him immediately, he would have made an impact when he first got there. So I think Florida State could have actually played with Greg Rousseau. (laughs) Right. That would have been amazing. Um, I think Florida State is going to benefit greatly, whether it's Mackenzie Milton or not. They've got a bunch of guys um, who've transferred in there, a couple from AM, I believe, some from Mississippi State. So I think Jermaine that Johnson from it, Georgia, they got a couple yep. from South Carolina. So they, and Johnson, I think, has had a good spring. So yeah, and they, they've got guys who've played in big games, they've got guys who've played on teams that have won. And I, I feel like that. That helps because you know now we're getting into a part a point in Florida State's history where the the players who were recruited as freshmen to Florida State have not really enjoyed much success. You know that the, those days are a long way away because 2017 was the first year of the kind of fall. You mentioned that things were masked. I'd say through 2016 because remember end of 2016 they beat Michigan in the in the Orange Bowl and you're like okay this is this is not the prettiest thing in the world, but it'll be all right. And they just fell off a cliff after that. And so if you got recruited to Florida state 2017 on, you've never really experienced success. It's hard to believe even as you say that, although we've watched it uh, unfold this way and it's been very hard to watch at times, I think in 15 and 16, you started to see the cracks with these horrific blowout losses remember in 16 mm-hmm. what happened against Lamar Jackson I mean, they gave up 60 something yeah. points it was the the worst loss and you're like what it what is happening at Florida State it was just that they had enough good players to make up for everything that was falling apart and the other part of this why I think Mike Norvell had to have so much roster turnover is because there were a bunch of guys they had to keep on for grades because the APR yes. Got so oh, bad. Yeah. And, and Willie, Willie Taggart was in that same boat. I mean, yes. Willie Taggart probably would have liked to flip the roster and might still be there if he'd have been able to, but they were going to be banned from the postseason if they had any more APR issues. So he had to keep everybody in good academic standing. That's correct. And I think the reason Mike Norvell was able to do it is because Willie essentially took the bullet, so to speak, you know, in those two years to stabilize the academics. The academics right now are in a much better situation than they were when he first got there. And again, you know, we talk about whether Mike Norvell knew there, Willie Taggart had no idea what he was walking into. Oh, he, he thought he'd he always was, wanted to coach Florida state. He's like, I'm going to get to be the Florida state coach. Sounds that's great. Right. And he thought he was walking into the Florida state. He grew up watching. He was a huge Florida state fan. That's where he wanted to go to school. He was too small and ended up at Western Kentucky 
But the fact is, everybody on that staff thought they were signing up for what everybody imagines Florida State to be. And they walked in there, and this is in the story, and it was like, where are we right now? This this could not possibly be a team that just won a national championship four years ago. So Willie gets a bad rap. I understand that because the results weren't there uh, and some of the performances were a little bit head scratching, but what he did to just stabilize the program to allow it to keep moving forward, I think now has led to Mike Norvell being in a situation where he could turn over the roster. He didn't have to keep guys on to help their APR and there were guys they had to get rid of. So I I think that it's going to take a while. But I think Mike Norvell has a much better understanding and grasp of what he has to do now than when he walked in there in December of 2019. Well, and I I look at the way his Memphis teams played. He was very, you know, very much a, a stickler for special teams play much, much like you yourself, coach Adelson. Uh, But, but I mean, he, he understood that there are ways to win games without being perfect on offense and defense. And um, I just, those teams played really hard. They they were very disciplined. I do think that that can happen at Florida state. It's just not, it's not an overnight thing. And I was, I was kind of guilty this last year because I kept thinking, okay, they still recruited fairly well, but it was a case where they weren't really recruiting to an identity anymore. And I think, we, we sometimes get messed up there because we'll, we'll look at recruiting rankings. We'll say, well, they got a bunch of four stars. So they got, you know, but if you don't know what your identity is and you're not recruiting to that, it doesn't really matter what, what somebody was ranked because they might be wrong for you. So, you know, now I feel like they, they know what identity they're recruiting toward. I've heard Kenny Dillingham, their offensive coordinator, talk a few times this spring. And uh, he doesn't mince a lot of words. Like he, he's, he's been, you know, critical when the quarterbacks have not, been as far along as he'd like them to be. But I, I think that's good. I think they're in a good position where, especially quarterback, they've got some competition. They've got four players who have played some, you know, kind of minimally, but you've got Mackenzie Milton, you've got Jordan Travis, you got Tate Rodemaker, you got Chubba Purdy. They're, they're all guys who you could see if things break right, them being a good functional starter in the ACC. Quarterback has been an albatross around that program's neck since Jameis left, essentially, because DeAndre Francois got himself into trouble. And let's not forget, they used Everett Golson before DeAndre. So they had guys transferring out of the program. And even though Jimbo had this reputation as somebody who would sign elite quarterbacks, they were transferring or getting kicked out. And yeah, DeAndre got Johnson got point. kicked out. Malik Henry was not yes. nearly as good as, as his recruiting hype suggested. Exactly. So it started back in 15 and 14, really. And they could never recover. And then Willie comes in, knows he has to sign a quarterback, and then can't get it done. Literally, yeah. Sam Howell was committed to them, decommits, goes to Mac Brown. Look what he's doing at North Carolina. So well, and, and, Will- and Willie went after Michael Penix. Yes. Right then. But at that point, that was the third different school that Willie had offered Michael Penix at. And the Penix family is like, okay, we like you, but that's, we're going to go to Indiana now. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, Willie couldn't get it done. And now Mike Norvell comes in and he's like, 
okay, this is what we have to work with at quarterback at, at Florida State. And we saw those struggles last year, you know, rotating in, not knowing who the quarterback was going to be. I think McKenzie is a good addition. Whether he plays or not, what he can bring to the locker room, his veteran experience. I mean, he's been a mentor to Dylan Gabriel at UCF. Look at what Dylan's been able to do. So for me, McKenzie is as much uh, an important factor in that locker room, in the quarterback room, than whether or not he's going to take a snap. Now, I think all of us want to see him run out of that oh, tunnel awesome. and take the first it'd snap. Be so awesome against Notre Dame when they open the season. I, I don't think that's rooting for a team. It's rooting for a player. It's rooting for his journey. So I think everybody would love to see that. I have no idea whether that's going to happen. I don't even think the Florida State coaching staff knows whether that's going to happen. But I do think he has brought something to the table in the quarterback room that they have not had. They have not had a veteran leader who has won big games in that room since – Jameis, probably. Because I wouldn't call I mean, DeAndre Gol Francois a good leader. Yeah. Golson, I guess, because he won a couple big games at Notre Dame as the starter. I mean, I don't, <laughs> but I don't think he was the leader of that team. Remember, we didn't get to talk to right. him that season. Yeah. I mean, he just, he came in, he was there, and he was gone. And yes. it was, yeah, it, it, it's just a very strange, very strange turn of events and, and just the way everything sort of cascaded down. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. I keep saying this. I think they've hit bottom. I think they're ready to to get back up. It's just it's not one of those deals where it's Florida State. They've got a bunch of five, four and five stars. It's going to happen overnight. It, they they're in a division with Clemson. Uh, they have to deal with Louisville. Uh, they play Miami every year, and Miami is is pretty functional right now. Uh, NC State's been pretty good through a lot of these years, so th they've got to deal with all this they've also got to play Florida every year and right. Florida is in a situation now where they're good. And that makes it tough. I, I, you know, it's interesting because I think Jimbo at FSU sort of exposed Jim McElwain at Florida, you know, Jim McElwain's winning a, a down sec East two years in a row, but the fact that they can't score a touchdown against Florida state tells you what you need to know. And I think it's sort of the reverse now where Florida state has to show they can be competitive against Florida before you start to buy, okay, you, you can be relevant again. It's almost like you're right in, in, in what Jimbo did when he was at, at Florida state, um, because they were so dominant in that rivalry and against Miami that, you know, it, Florida's that right now. And I remember, when Florida State had it going and they were clicking on all cylinders thinking, well, Florida's never getting out of this. I mean, how are they going to get out of this when Jimbo not is not only dominating on the field, but he's got a stranglehold in recruiting? But he signed and, and top it's, three it's classes probably every how year. They felt. It's probably how Florida State felt when Urban Meyer was doing the same thing. Yes, correct. So now it's flipped back again uh, to where – the, the lion's share of the, of the power is wh where Florida is, 
But I will say this about Florida, you know, they're not recruiting at the same level that Jimbo was recruiting at when he was clicking on all cylinders. So there is an opening there for Florida State. I don't feel as if Florida right now has it totally locked down the way that Jimbo did when he had it rolling there from, you know, 12 to 16, let's just say. I, I, I just I just need to see Florida State be competitive. Yes. In that rivalry. Cause it, that was my, that was my thing with Jim McElwain is people would ask, you know, why, why is everybody so down on him? Why are Florida fans so down on him? And I'd say, you, you got to understand they, they know where the standard is. And if you're getting smoked by Florida state every year, you're not, you're not there. And, and they know that they can see it because, and, and then obviously he would go, they'd go play Alabama in the sec championship game and you'd see how far they have to go. But and that's where that's where Florida State is. So when when they play Clemson, and and that's the, that's the hardest part is like you see how far they are from Clemson. Now they didn't play Clemson last year, and now and, and now Dabo is going to want to just pound yes. it out on them for yes. for everything that happened last year. But when they play Clemson, when they play Florida, those are the games that tell you how close they are to their own standard, and or how far they are from their own standard. And it just feels like. They've been they, they've fallen really far from it, and it, it it will take quite a bit of work to get back to it. Yes, it's going to take time, and I think that's the one thing that everybody that we talked to for that story that we ran in November said, please just have some patience. We feel like we're going to get there, but it's hard watching us getting curb stomped. And we know that it's hard watching us getting curb, curb stomped against our two biggest rivals. We get it, but this isn't a quick overnight fix. Things have fallen so far that it's going to take a while to bring them back up. And I don't know if the Florida state fan base has that type of patience. They need to because Florida state can't afford to get rid of Mike Norvell and start over again. Financially, they can't afford it let alone what's happening on the football field. So there needs to be some patience that we saw glimpses that that win over North Carolina last year. That was a good win. Yeah, definitely. So, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, North Carolina went to the orange bowl. Absolutely. They, that was a good win for them, but then they follow it up with some dreadful performances and you don't know what this team is, but that's all part of the growing process. I you also know, felt like they went very young at the end. They did on purpose. And, and I think that probably will, will help a little bit going forward, especially as you get to a more normal season and a season where you have an off season. So I, I do feel like we're going to see a good bit of improvement just because this staff will have a chance to actually have a spring practice and have a real off season program and, and not, unfortunately, I mean, they're telling, telling guys to push trucks and, and, and everybody else is doing this too. But when you're trying to establish something, that's really hard to do. No question. I think They'll be better, but how much better in the win-loss record? I don't know because that schedule is brutal. They open yeah. with Notre Dame, and obviously we mentioned they've got uh, Florida at the end of the season, uh, a team they didn't have to play last year, just like Clemson. They, they didn't have to play them last year. Obviously, they've got Clemson, and the way the schedule is set up for them, uh, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy for them to get to a bowl game. If they get to a bowl game, I think that should be considered a a good year for Florida State. I can't believe those words are coming out of my mouth. But for how far this program fell 
and for what last season looked like to get to six wins. I think that would be a, a, a victory for Mike Norvell and anything above that should be considered uh, an above average season for Florida state. Again, it sounds bizarre to say that out loud, but I think if they well, can win eight or nine games, it's a remarkable season for them. Well, and that's the thing when you, when you talk about, and it's just a lot of it's how the ACC is broken down when you get Notre Dame as an ACC member, because that's part of the deal. You, you have to play Notre Dame every so often. They happen to get them fresh out of the gate. And then, going to Wake Forest early in the season. Like Dave Clawson's done a great job at Wake Forest. That's going to be a good team this year. And that's normally a game that you should just be able to pencil in a W for Florida State. They're not in that that situation right now. So they've got some got some time. Uh, they also they take are it out going on, to North tell, Carolina take it out again. On, uh, oh, yeah. Meet up with Sam Howell, who yeah. would have been their quarterback. Yeah. And then their next game, they can take it out on Walt Bell for leaving because right. had Walt Bell still been the OC, Sam Howell is probably still their quarterback. It's probably yeah. Florida State's quarterback. So yeah. it's just it, it's amazing how this works. Now, if the all trick play offense works, do you think they will hire us on permanently and that we will help bring them back to glory? Can they afford us, Andy? I mean, that's the bottom line. I feel like if they we can, do that, they can we're definitely have afford a me. Well, yeah. <laughs> they, I might undercut you. I mean, like, listen, she got that ESPN money. I, I, oh yeah. All you yeah, got to do that's is. Right. I, I I'm very. I'm very cheap. I mean, I'll do whatever you need, and and. We'll see, because obviously you're the brains behind this operation, so hopefully they won't figure that out, and they will hire me anyway, but <laughs> we got to, but no, I, I'm ready. Uh, the, the play I really want to run, and, and this is not a Spurrier play. This one this okay. one was drawn up by uh, by the great Jonathan Moxon. Okay. We all, we all remember who Jonathan Moxon was, right? He, he was the, the backup quarterback for the West Canaan Coyotes in the, in the late 90s. Uh, remember, Lance Harbor, the starting quarterback, was supposed to go to Florida State, and then he hurt his knee and did not go to Florida State. Uh, Jonathan Moxon became the starter at West Canaan. Chris Ricks wound up becoming the starter at Florida State. The rest is history. But we were, I want to run the oop-de-oop. I'm ready to run the the oop de oop is kind of the 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 direct descendant of the Bobby Bowden fumble ruski. It's very you know it, it very much from the same gene pool. So I'm ready to run the oop de oop. If you haven't seen it, go back, go watch necessary roughness, watch the last play. That's what we're running when we really need it. That's what we're bringing out. I love it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm all for it. I'm all for all of it. Statue of Liberty, annexation of Puerto Rico. What else we got? Oh, all of it. Uh, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> and there will be Henry and Henry. Just you wait. So yes. when, when we get there on Friday, because we have to go to some meetings on Friday, we will pull the offensive tackles aside and say, listen, this is going to seem a little weird, but Trust me, it's going to work. We'd have to do it. I, I am, so, you know, when they said they were giving us a play sheet, I'm like, really? Can't we just come up with a, I drew up a couple plays for Spurrier one of the years. It didn't work. So I guess I shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> what are, but, what are um, the odds that we could get Emery and Henry lined up without A, a delay of game or 
be an illegal procedure penalty. I think I, I would put the odds at 15% that we could manage to line that play up and get the ball snapped, much less get it run. Pro- My, I'm guessing the quarterback gets murdered, except he's in a green jersey, so they can't hit him. But <laughs> but that well, I, seriously, if we could get that play even lined up and snapped, I would count that as a victory. Do you think... If we went rogue like that, they would just fire us immediately, or would we still allow to? I think they would have us escorted out of the stadium (laughs) by the police. (laughs) So, would it be worth it? Doesn't mean I'm not going to try. Would it be worth it? Exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. Doesn't mean I'm not going to try. And and you know the ball coach would have something to say about it if if Florida State ran Emory and Harry during the spring game. So he would. I, I this is this. I'm 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 ready. I I will have the discussion with the tackles. You have the discussion with the quarterbacks. Just get them ready. Make make sure the quarterbacks count the guys on the line of scrimmage so that we're not that we have the right amount. And you know we'll we'll get it straight. We will make sure that it's a legal formation and that it scores 19 touchdowns. Yes, and then we do the Ted Lasso dance. That's exactly right. Okay. Hopefully the camera will stay on you. <laughs> Andrea Adelson, thank you so much for joining us. All right, Andy. Can't wait to see you on Friday.